0: program which is designed to help protect the Gombe chimpanzees. They are endangered. And they're endangered because although they're safe within their tiny 30 square mile national park, outside that area, all the trees have gone. At least in 1991, when I flew over in a small plane, the trees had gone. How could we protect the chimps when there were more people living on that land than it could support? who couldn't move elsewhere because of overpopulation, who couldn't buy food from elsewhere because of poverty, and who had thus created, instead of a forest, a desert. That led to our program called Take Care, which is an effort to improve the lives of the villagers living around Gombe National Park in a very holistic way. Everything from tree nurseries, farming methods most suited to that uh, very degraded land, ways of of, uh, reviving overused farmland without using chemical fertilizers and pesticides, working with groups of women so that they can, through microcredit, based on the uh, amazing Grameen Bank of Muhammad Yunus, who's one of my all-time heroes, and so they can select projects that are environmentally sustainable and scholarships for girls to keep them in school, working with women because all over the planet it has been shown that as women's education improves family size drops and of course the reason for this uh, degradation of the land outside Gombe is more people living there than had been the case in 1960, partly because of normal human population growth and partly because of refugees moving in over the lake from Eastern Congo and from Burundi. So because the people in now 24 villages with outreach to other villages understand that we care about them, too, because we went in not with a bunch of white people, but a group of uh, very carefully selected Tanzanians who sat down with the village elders and talked and listened and asked them what they felt they needed to make their lives better, which was nothing to do with conservation to start with. It was education and health. But now, working with one of our skilled employees, who actually comes from Moldavia, uh, who's working with satellite imagery, GPS, GIS uh, technology, to make amazing maps of the whole area. He's actually mapping the primate range, the uh, great ape range across Africa. But he's got these maps which the villagers are now using to demark their village boundaries and to do what the government requires them to do, which is to set aside percentages of their land for agriculture, for human, occup- human activities and so forth. They are required to, li- to set aside At least 10% of their land for conservation. So with our guy Lillian, they are working to put their conservation land in such a way that it's creating a broad band of forest as a buffer for the Gombe chimpanzees between them and the village and hopefully as a way of enabling the scattered uh, remnant chimpanzee groups to move in and once again interact with the Gombe chimps. The only way we can save them in the long term. And I just stood three months ago behind Gombe and looked out over these trees, which in six years are 20 or more foot high. And it was a very moving moment. The rest of Africa, chimpanzees are disappearing because of hunting, again, habitat loss. And it's a big, hard battle. We don't have time to go into it now. And I realized, as I was traveling more and more around Africa, talking about these problems, meeting people, that so many of Africa's problems can be sometimes directly attributed to the unsustainable lifestyles of the Western world and the elite communities around the world. And that means this is what we're doing now. Basically, if everybody on the planet could be here tonight, there'd be no planet left. So, as you were talking about with Richard Leakey this morning, we have major problems. And I know a little bit about what he was talking about. And uh, we have major problems with the pollution of the air, the water and the land. We have a major problem with decreasing uh, amounts of fresh surface water and water in the aquifers around the planet. We have major, pro- major human, humanitarian problems of hunger and disease and poverty. And Poverty is a great destroyer of the environment. We have the problem of the way that we are growing our food as increasingly agribusiness takes over from the small family farmers, leading to the overuse of chemical pesticides and fertilizers, which is running off from the land into the streams, the rivers, the lakes, and thus into the sea, so that there are children born in areas where the air they breathe, the water they drink, and the food they eat is making them sick. And there is the intensive farming of animals for meat. And this is leading to massive production of methane, which is adding to the greenhouse gases, about the same amount as all the automobiles that we use on the planet. It's leading to massive suffering for the animals. And it's leading to the automatic use of antibiotics to keep the animals alive in these crushed conditions. I don't know if any of you have been into a factory farm of cows, pigs, or chickens. But if you have, you know what I'm talking about. And so these antibiotics are getting into the environment, and the bacteria are building up resistance so that people have already died from a scratch on a finger. There is the genetic modification of food. We don't know yet the long-term result of that. We do know it's increasing poverty as farmers desperately try to save seed, They can't grow it because it's Monsanto terminator seed. We could talk a lot about that. It's uh, the subject of my last book was about our food and what we've done to our food and how separated from our food we have become. And the number of children living like I was in Nebraska at a university with some of the kids of the faculty, and they didn't know how a potato grew. They simply didn't know. They thought it was a fruit on a tree. Uh, it was shocking, but that's quite common, actually. So here we are, destroying this planet. I talked about the similarities between us and chimps, but we're different, aren't we? Here we are. This lodge has been built. Um, if we wanted, we could be transmitting this talk tonight all over the world uh, simultaneously. We've got this amazing technology. We've put people on the moon. Our intellect has exploded. Chimpanzees are capable of intellectual performances we used to think unique to us. We could talk about that tomorrow too. But what's happened to make it absurd to compare even the brightest chimp, one who can learn, say, 500 of the signs of American Sign Language, but it doesn't make sense to compare that chimp's intellect with ours. So, what's happened? I think what's happened is that we developed this sophisticated spoken language. Now, it can be signs, it can be writing, it can be electronic. But it's a way of communicating about things that are not present. If I had time, I could tell you stories from Gombe about incidents there. And if I did it right and you closed your eyes, you could almost be there with me. We can plan for the distant future. We can make a plan for 10 years' time. You can make plans as to where your next um, events are going to be in 20 years if you want to, and they'll probably happen. And we can discuss. That's what I hope we can do tomorrow morning. We can discuss. We can make use of the collective wisdom of a group, the different life, uh, life experiences, and solve problems. So how come then that this incredibly most intellectual being that's ever walked on the planet How come that we're destroying it? It's our only home. We don't have more homes. Many of you know E.O. Wilson said that if everybody on the planet had the lifestyle of us, then we would need, he said, three new planets. Now they're saying five or six. We don't even have one new planet. So don't you think we've lost something called wisdom? We may be clever, clever, and smart, but the wisdom of the indigenous people who made a decision based on how will this affect our people in years to come? And we're making decisions based on how will this affect me now? How will this affect the next shareholders meeting or my next political campaign or something like that? Seems to be a disconnect between clever brain, heart, a seat of love and compassion. Not surprising then that as I was traveling around the world, I met so many young people like you, not like you, but your age, who seemed to have lost hope. I hope none of you have, but I have met many your age in many parts of the world who have. Young people who seem depressed, angry, or apathetic. And when I talked to them, they said basically, we feel this way because we feel you've compromised our future and there's nothing we can do about it. If you feel we older generations have compromised your future, you are absolutely right. I've got three grandchildren. I look at them and think how we've harmed the planet since I was their age, and I'm shocked and desperate. If you think there's nothing that can be done about it, and I don't think any of you do, you're wrong because there is a lot that we can do. And it was this this distress I felt at so many young people who'd lost hope that led to our youth program, Roots and Shoots. It's a symbolic name. If you imagine a little acorn. It's going to grow into a mighty tree. It puts out little white roots and a little tiny shoot. It looks so small and frail if you pick it up. But there is such life force in that seed that those little roots to reach the water can push their way through boulders and knock them aside. And that little shoot can work its way through cracks in a brick wall to reach the sunlight and eventually knock it down. See the boulders and the walls as all the problems we have inflicted on the planet, environmental and social. Then it's hope. Hundreds and thousands of young people, just like you young people here today, can get together around the planet and break through these boulders and walls and make this a better world for all living things. So basically the message is, Every one of us makes a difference every day. We can't help making an impact on the environment. If we would spend a little time thinking about the consequences of our small choices on the environment, on society, on animals, well, when people do, they do start making small changes. Once they actually think about where does this garment I'm buying come from, did it involve child slave labor or sweatshops, how was this food made, and so on people start making small changes. Every group chooses three different kinds of project, one for people, usually their own community, then reaching out to those devastated by tsunamis or droughts or whatever it happens to be. One project to help animals, including domestic animals, including these farm animals I mentioned, and one project to help the environment that we all share. And running throughout is a theme of, let's learn to live in peace and harmony within ourselves, our families, our communities, between religions and cultures, between nations, and so important, between us and the natural world. So it's about breaking down the barriers that we build between these different segments of society and between us and nature. It started with 16, sorry, 12 high school students in Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. It's now in 111 countries. There's about 10,000 active groups. The members range from preschool all the way through university. And we can talk about this, I hope, tomorrow morning, too, because I really hope that some of you will become interested enough in this program to want to take it away and perhaps start a group of your own. It's what gives me the most hope. We had our first uh, gathering of Roots & Shoots Global Leaders, we have have Global Leadership Councils. We had 100 young people in Florida, a sort of gathering like you, but a bit different, because this was youth-driven. They chose the programs. The subjects they wanted to talk about in their workshops ranged from poverty alleviation and conflict resolution to human rights and animal trafficking and everything you can imagine in between. That was February last year. They are still working on the solutions they came to using this power of language, the power of discussion that I mentioned earlier. So for me, Roots and Shoots is one of my greatest reasons for hope. But that's just one out of four. Also, the human brain. If you think now that we've got our backs to the wall, I think Al Gore's inconvenient truth really helped us to understand that we do have our backs to the wall, that climate change is real. And so the human brain is inventing amazing technology that will help us to live in greater harmony. But we as individuals are thinking of ways we can leave lighter footprints on the planet as we go from throughout our lives. My next reason for hope is the resilience of nature. You can destroy a place. And with time and perhaps money, you can begin to restore. And once again, it can support life and be beautiful. It may not be the same. Animal species on the brink of extinction can be given another chance. And finally, there's the indomitable human spirit. The people who tackle seemingly impossible tasks and won't give up. Richard Leakey is a perfect example. He loses two legs. He carries on. He stands through his talks. He inspires young people and he works to change government thinking. We could talk for an awful long time about this. I don't have time. I'm not allowed to go on talking any longer. Um, May I tell one story? Okay. Because I want to end up with this story. It's about a chimpanzee who was born in Africa. His mother was shot when he was one and a half because that's the only way that you can take a baby chimp is to kill the mother. And he was shipped off to North America where he lived for about 15 years in a small, old-fashioned zoo cage with iron bars and a cement floor. No opportunity to learn about chimpanzee behavior. And then a new zoo zoo director decided he'd build the biggest enclosure. He would surround it with uh, a, a trench filled with water because chimps don't swim, a moat. And he got other chimpanzees, nice big group, introduced them all carefully to each other Finally, everybody would met everybody. They kind of worked out a dominant system, which they'll fight over. And they were all allowed out into the enclosure. And it was fine for a while. And then one of the young males challenged the senior male. Well, the senior male was Jojo. Jojo was the one who'd lived alone for 15 years. Adult male dominance display is truly awesome. And the male with bristling hair and bunched lips will hurtle across the ground, slapping with his hands, stamping with his feet, swaying vegetation, trying to make himself look bigger and dangerous, as big and dangerous as he can to intimidate a rival. Jojo is petrified. He runs into the water. He doesn't know anything about water, except that you drink it in a cup. He climbs over the barrier built to stop the chimps drowning since they don't swim in the water beyond. Three times, Jojo comes up, gasping for air, and then he disappears. And on the far side of the moat is a little group of people. Fortunately for Jojo, a man called Rick Swope, who visited that zoo one day a year with his wife and kids. One day, he's there. And he jumps in, even though a keeper had grabbed him and told him he'd be killed. He pulls away. He swims He feels under the water. He gets hold of Jojo's body, gets this 130 pound dead weight over his shoulder, feels little movements. Jojo hasn't died. Manages to get over the barrier, pushes Jojo up onto the bank of the enclosure, and turns to rejoin his somewhat hysterical family. (laughs) There was a woman there with a video camera. She doesn't remember filming. But from that little piece of home video, which is all over the place, you can tell what happened next. The people on the far side of the bank start screaming at Rick to hurry back because they can see three big males coming down with bristling hair and to see what the commotion is about. And at the same time, Jojo is sliding back towards the water because the bank was too steep. And amazingly, this film steadies on Rick as he stands there with a hand on the railing. And you see him look at his wife and kids You see him look towards where these three males are coming. and You see him look down at Jojo, who's just disappeared under the water again. And for a moment, Rick stands there motionless. And then he went back. He went back, and again he pushed Jojo up, and he stayed there, sliding in the mud, people screaming, chimps approaching, Jojo making feeble efforts to grab something, and just in time gets a thick tuft of grass. And with Rick pushing manages to pull himself up to where the ground is level. And just in time, Rick gets back over that barrier. So that evening, that little piece of video was flashed across North America. And the then director of JGI saw it. He called Rick. He said, that was a very brave thing you did. You must have known it was dangerous. Everybody was telling you. What made you do it? And Rick said, well, you see, I happened to look into his eyes. And it was like looking into the eyes of a man. And the message was, won't anybody help me? And you see, that's the look that we've seen in the eyes of these little chimps whose mothers have been shot that's led to our sanctuaries in West Africa and Central Africa. It's the look I've seen in the eyes of chimps in five foot by five foot prisons of the medical research labs. I've seen it in the eyes of chained elephants rocking from foot to foot the eyes of dogs thrown out in the streets, the eyes of refugees who've seen goodness knows what horrors before they fled, and the eyes of street children with nowhere to go. And if you see that look with your eyes and you feel it in your heart, there's nothing you can do but jump in and try to help. And so I think my greatest reason for hope is that, yes, around the world there are problems, hundreds, thousands, millions of problems but I haven't heard of one where there wasn't also a group of caring, compassionate people working for little or no money, risking their health, risking or even sometimes losing their lives to try and put that problem right. That is the indomitable human spirit. That is my greatest reason for hope. Thank you.